But good evening to one and all here tonight, and also a big welcome to those joining with us on our podcast. Welcome to the House of God here at Christian Outreach Centre here in Charters Towers. You're all really, really welcome. I trust that God speaks to you uh, tonight, that God has something, a gem, that, that we've got something to go away from this place tonight, that you're built up in your most holy faith. And the Bible talks about line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And so God does a work in us incrementally. And every day, like we don't remember every time we have breakfast, what we've had for breakfast, but we know that what we've had that day sustains us. You don't know what you had a week ago for breakfast, but you know that what you had sustained you. And the Word of God is like that. You don't always remember exactly what you read on certain days, but you know that it sustains you. And we know that the Lord gives us grace for today. And so you don't have to worry about having to rally up and have the strength for tomorrow because the strength and the grace to do tomorrow comes tomorrow. Amen? So you think, oh, I don't think I've got it in with me. Well, you don't because it's given to you on the day that you need it. And so you don't need to worry about that thing. So, But uh, I think you would all agree that the ministry of Pastor Trevor and Roxanne Cole last weekend was rightly called the Salt of the, of the Earth weekend, wasn't it? One look at these people and you know you are going to get a salt of the earth message. The sincerity and honesty in which the word was delivered challenged every hearer and every heart, taking us from religion into a deeper relationship with God. Amen? You can go anywhere and get religion, but it's not religion that we need, nor is it religion that Jesus died on the cross. He didn't die on a cross to give us a new religion. And we were never given the word of God just to have another religion, but we were, he died on the cross so that we would have a relationship, which is so much different. It could never have been expressed more deeply and even with a plea. I could hear the plea in both Trevor and Roxanne's messages on God's behalf, as with some of the prophets of old, I could hear the plea of Jeremiah in Pastor Trevor, how God yearns for a relationship that is unimpeded by anything else the world has to offer. And if there is something in our lives that is impeding our relationship with God, really it needs to go. It needs to go. And so I'd like if we would uh, tonight uh, to turn into the book of Exodus chapter 25, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses. If you haven't got a Bible, there's a few spare right up at the front, and you can avail yourselves to those. And uh, read along a little bit so you can see where I'm reading from, so you can go to it for further reference in the future. So Exodus chapter 25, and I'm going to read from verse 1. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. So there is the key with any offering. Do it willingly. And the, will and the offerings there in verse 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, they included gold and silver and bronze, different sorts of uh, thread and purple and scarlet thread, and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices and etc., onyx stones. And uh, in verse 8, and it says... And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Isn't it a beautiful thing to go to all the effort to make the sanctuary 
and the God's intent is that I shall dwell among them. So, to, so, to, uh, so, to, uh, so much can we get caught up on building the house of God that we forget actually that it's so God that can dwell with us. So the title of my message tonight is Religional Relationship, and you can choose. And sometimes we can get so bogged down with doing the things for God that we forget about God, amen? And we sometimes get so embedded into the Word of God that we forget about the God of the Word. Doesn't that make sense? When we're, when we're reading the Word of God, remember that we're communing with the God of the Word. And so God gave Moses, in these chapters here, right through to the end of the book of Exodus, detailed instructions on how to build that sanctuary. Often it was called the Tent of Meeting. And uh, so named because it was to become a place where God could meet with and cohabitate or cohabit with his people. God wants to live, God wants to dwell, God wants to tabernacle, God wants to build, God wants to abide with us. He, want, he so desires to be with us, to dwell with, dwell with us. So in addition, there were very detailed instructions on the making of furniture, items to be placed within the specific places in the tent of meeting. And so when you have a look at all the details and all the furniture, but the, uh, the tent of meeting, as it was called, because that was the place where they were to meet with God, you have the outside in the tent enclosure. So it was a big rectangular enclosure, and it had a linen, like a linen fence. Linen speaks of righteousness, so it was totally surrounded by a linen fence. And so outside of, that, of the tent itself was an altar of burnt offering where sacrifices were to be made. And so the, the, brazen, or the brazen altar, and the brazen altar really speaks in the New Testament of the cross because that's where the sacrifices were made, that's where the blood was shed, and, before, and, and really, in, in a way, uh, for us to come into the glorious God, no blood, no glory. Isn't that a good saying to remember? No blood, no glory, because it is the shed blood of the Lamb in the Old Testament that made way for, the, for them to walk into the glory of God. And so uh, we see that in addition to that, there was the bronze laver, and it was also outside in that external enclosure, and it was a bronze basin for the priests to cleanse themselves before entering into the tent of meeting itself. And so in addition now, the, the priest then would enter into the tent, and the tent was divided into two-thirds and one-third. And so the, the, uh, the two-third area which the priest walked into was called the holy place, and the smallest section behind the veil was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And so in the holy place, on the left-hand side as you came in, the eastern entrance into that area is the golden lampstand. It is called the menorah. And when you go to the, out, the old city of Jerusalem near the western wall and you see an, an exact replica of the ancient menorah in a massive big glass cabinet, very close, about 100 metres from the western wall. And so, uh, and in addition to that, so that was on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side of that outer court in the, in the uh, holy place was the table of showbread. It was a table about just over four foot long and about 450 millimetres wide. 
I'm using both dimensions here. I'm using feet and inches and metric. I was brought up with both in my carpentry years. And so uh, that table of showbread then had 12 loaves of bread on it, which indicated or represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So in addition to that, there was another piece of, of furniture in that holy place, and it was the altar of incense. And it was approximately 450 mil by 450 mil, or just under a half a meter by half a meter. And uh, it stood about uh, three or four foot high, and it had horns on the four corners, and, it had a, uh, and they would burn incense in that place. And it stood directly bet between, and at the end of that, of that holy place, and right in front of the veil, which separated one section from another. And uh, so it separated the holy place from the most holy place or the Holy of Holies. And incense was burned in that place that ascended into the heavens. And Revelations 8.4 says, where prayer is as incense in heaven, and incense is as prayer on earth. Isn't it amazing? That's how it's described. It's the opposite. And so, so you, when you go beyond the veil now, that was like a big curtain that's separated now from the holy place to the most holy, or the Holy of Holies. And so it was half the size of the holy place and it was separated and beyond the veil was placed the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a timber box about just over four foot long and it stood about this high and was about 750 millimetres wide and it was a timber box and it had a timber ring through it and everything was covered with gold. On top of that was a lid called the mercy seat, and on top of that were two angels facing each other. And inside that Ark of the Covenant, uh, which was uh, underneath the, the mercy seat, was contained the Ten Commandments, and in, in time to come also the Torah was put in a drawer in, in the side of, the, of that box, and also Aaron's staff that budded was placed in there, and also a pot of manna was placed in that box. And so I'd like to go to read Exodus 25 and 21, 22. And it says, and this is God speaking here, and he says, You shall put the mercy seat, that is the golden lid on the top of the ark, on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. The testimony, of course, is the, the Ten Commandments and those two tablets of stone. And here it is again, and there I will meet with you. See, all the trouble of going to build this whole temple system, this tent of meeting, and later on Solomon's temple, all built on the same dimensions or type of dimensions, are all that God would meet with us. You see that? It's religion or relationship. We can get caught up with all how we build this and how we build that, but it was all to facilitate relationship. This whole building here has been built. We love the cross. We love the gardens. We love inside here. We love it to make it look good and everything like that, but everything is done to facilitate your relationship with the Lord. Otherwise, it is all in vain. Amen. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. So everything done in this place is only, it's not about religion, but it is all about to facilitate relationship. And he says, and there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony, 
about everything which I give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Isn't it beautiful? So there I will meet with you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. So there it is. It says in 25.8, I will dwell amongst them. In 25.22, I will meet with you and I will speak with you. This is all about relationship. Everything we can read, whole multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of pages, but everything is all and comes back down to a relationship. So the sacrificial system of worship was instituted so that a holy God could live he could dwell, he could tabernacle another, and uh, the New Testament in John's Gospel, chapter 15, talks about abiding with the people. As we abide in him, he abides in us. All the same things. And so that God could dwell, that God could meet, that God could speak with the people. And so the shedding of the blood made way for the glory to dwell amongst the people. And so as I've said before, no blood, no glory. And so churches that take away the blood out of their church, you will not see the glory of God descend upon that place because the blood makes a way. There is a protocol or process for entering into the Holy of Holies that is in the divine presence of God and uh, the protocol or process is through the blood. So you and I, uh, in those days, they entered via the blood on the brazen altar, but you and I today in the New Testament enter via the cross. Enter via the cross. That is our, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man comes to the Father except by me. And Jesus' blood shed on the cross. And so covenant was established that relationship, not religion, could be entered into. So covenant is the framework which all of our, all of our Bible fits into. It fits into the old covenants, which there were many. About seven, I think. And the New Testament, which is the blood of Jesus, which is the covenant, which is an eternal covenant. It's not going to be replaced by another. It's a once and all covenant uh, because the blood of Jesus is the final one. Covenants were established not to bring about a new religion, but to bring about a new relationship. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't to bring about a new religion. The world, the last thing the world needs is another religion. Amen. They don't need another religion. They need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's right, isn't it? So within the covenant relationship, God could cohabitate with the children of Israel. It was also that God could live in and amongst with his people. And so we see that uh, in the new covenant, uh, sealed with the blood of Jesus, God not only, not only dwells with us, you see, in this Old Testament, God was dwelling amongst the people. But in the New Testament, God doesn't dwell with us. He dwells in us. Think about that for a minute. He doesn't just dwell with us. He is dwelling in us. Put your hand on your stomach. Just put your hand there and say, Lord, the Lord dwells in me. He doesn't just dwell around me. He dwells in me. But here is another good scripture to think. Do you think does it get any better than that? And it does. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says that he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Think about that for a minute. So not just God with us, but God in us. And not just God in us, but God joined to us. Isn't that beautiful? It doesn't get any closer. Uh, that our relationship with God uh, doesn't have an ability to get any better than that. God has made all provision for us to be at one with him, to be joined to him. 
like a tea bag in hot water. When you when that water is diffused with that in the, when the tea is diffused into that water, you can no longer remove that tea out of that water because those two components are totally become one, and that your spirit and Christ's spirit are one. Amen. Amen. And so uh, few people fully grasp that God, that, that God is not about ritual. God is not about form nor tradition. Does it mean that all form and tradition and things are wrong? No, it doesn't. But, if they, but Christ is preeminent in all things, first and foremost in all things. So within this tent of meeting, this sacrificial system, it can be clearly seen that there is a progressive relationship that we can walk in. As I said, there was, an, there was the, uh, the outer area outside the tent itself. And then you came into the holy place, and then you were, walked into the most holy place. And so the layout of the tent of meeting is also duplicated in almost the exact, in, in, in fact, in the exact proportions in Solomon's temple. And so we had an outer court, there was an inner court, and c- across the threshold or beyond the veil was the holy of holies. So there was three distinct areas. And so in our, in our uh, a personal walk with God, we can just stop outside of the tent near the brazen altar representing the cross. And so blood was shed and we received our salvation. But do you know a lot of people just stay there? They just say, I just received salvation, but there is no relationship. They've, they've maybe got a copy of the word of God, but they have never embraced the God of the word. And they, they're still on the outer, in, that, in that outer court area. And so the layout of that temple meeting, so we've got the outer court, the inner court, and across that threshold, by invitation, we cross that veil. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was rent in the temple. And so that means that, and as it says in, the, in Ephesians chapter 2, four, verse 14, that there, uh, the dividing wall of separation was removed so that we all have equal access to Jesus Christ. And so representing, I see this, uh, these three stages in, in that tent of meeting, uh, a progressive relationship with God. And your relationship with God is as close to God as you want it to be. But God has made it very, very clear in the Song of Solomon that God wants an intimate relationship with him. That's what he wants. He wants intimacy as intimate as a marriage relationship can be, so God wants an intimate relationship with you and I. And so I see in that very, very outer court, the outer court and the inner court, those three distinct sections, and you can see body, soul and spirit. I see that very, very clearly. Body, soul and spirit, three distinct areas. In the outer area, there is uh, uh, none of of God and all of me. It's all about me. Who's... And as a young Christian, it's all about me. God saved me. It was my salvation. He took me out of the depths of the miry clay. He did this and he... And it's all about me, which is easy to teach in this me generation. They want to have some time out. It's my time. It's me time. Amen? iPads, iPhones, it's very, very easy to go down this track. But all of me and none of him. But in this inner court, you could say there is some of me and some of him. And when you get... And when you cross the threshold into the holy of holies, it's none of me and all of him. 
You see, the Lord wants a deeper relationship, and he's offering it to us. And you can have this deeper relationship, but it all depends on if you want it. Amen? It all depends on if, if that's where you want to be. And I also see in this three segments, and it says in Psalm 104, verse 4, it says, Enter into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so we can see out in this outer area where there's the brazen altar, praise. But there is a, there is a higher form of worship, isn't there? And you can step in and you can go worship. And if you worship long enough, you can cross the threshold into the holy of holies and experience glory. Where are you today in your praise and your worship, in your relationship with God? Are you content with praise, jingle bells, jingle bells, all that sort of stuff? All those fairly light-hearted sort of, they're all songs about my salvation, me and mine, and all this sort of stuff. And uh, I, I see it very, very clearly when people begin to worship. I notice when people are worshipping in the glory, out in, out in the praise area, we're just singing about what God, we're singing about God. But when you cross the threshold into that holy of holies, you're not singing about God, you're singing to God. And there's a massive, massive difference. I encourage people, if you cannot sing a note, just begin to praise. Praise till the worship comes and worship till the glory comes. Always, you're as close to God. We're all as close to God as we really want to be. And so the, the brazen altar representing the cross where the blood is shed, salvation. And uh, I liken it to that there is a tipping point. You're in the worship zone, amen? You, you can get in that worship zone. You can put on some worship at home and you can get into that glory zone because there's a tipping point. It's called a point of critical mass. And uh, there is a point in time when gas becomes a liquid because it gets so dense. It's true, isn't it? It gets, the gas gets so, so dense, a critical, it becomes a liquid. And uh, that is like being in the, in the area of being in worship and you're just so saturated in the presence of God that then, then the Lord by invitation, which is what the groom does, takes the bride by invitation into the holy of holies and that relationship is consummated. Having a consummated relationship with the Lord is where we need to be where he would love us to be, in that beautiful place. We are called the bride of Christ. Oh, we're called the bride of Christ. All of us here are the bride of Christ. And the Lord wants a deep relationship with us. And so uh, uh, not everybody is comfortable with, with being in that glory zone. And we, say, we saw that Moses' face shone so brightly that a veil was hung over his face. And people were uncomfortable to look at his face because if you're in an unsanctified state, the glory is a dangerous thing to you. The blood makes way for you to safely be in the glory zone. The blood washes you and cleanses you and prepares you. It is the protocol or process for entering into the glory of God. And so when you were talking about the glory of God, I remember in the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, and they all gathered at a house before they went to 312 Azusa Street where the revival broke out in full, but they met at a house called the Bonnie Bray House. And such was the presence of God and the depth of prayer 
that people began to come from all over the city and just gathered on the lawn and the front yard of the house of Bonnie Bray. You can still go to this home in Los Angeles to this very day. And it's part of our Christian heritage. And so it's run as a, something to show people. And, uh, but also Azusa Street itself. When the presence of God, it is reported that the kids could play hide and seek in the glory of God. There were no need for a smoke machine at Azusa Street. Because the glory of the Lord so filled that place. Dirt floors, weatherboard, old barns, a couple of chicken crates stacked, and that was the pulpit. It was a very, very humble place. But the glory of God so filled the place that at times they couldn't minister. And, the, and there was a non-stop revival for three and a half years. Seven days a week, three services a day for three and a half years. And it's reported there's a book called The Children of Azusa. It's a book that I don't have. And they give testimony to playing hide and seek in the glory of God. You see, people can cross that threshold, but you and I can cross that, cross that threshold too. I've spent many times, many uh, months and months and months, I've been in that zone over the years. It's a glorious place to be. And so, but, uh, so there's a progressive intensification of his presence and like when gas gets progressively heavy, there is that tipping point from worship into that glory zone. And anything can happen in the glory zone. I believe we're going to see it in this house here. We will see it in this house. Because I've, I've read about it, I've hungered for it, I've experienced seasons of it in my life, and we will see it again. Amen. Because the glory of God can change the whole atmosphere of a region. The glory of God can do that. I'm looking forward to the day when they call the fire brigade because they're seeing the place on fire, amen? And that's been reported in the past as well. I'm looking forward to that day when we've got to say to the fire guys, sorry, mate, uh, we're, we're just spiritually on fire here. And so... Um, but there is a point when we're in the presence of God and our hunger and desire and yearning for him uh, causes God to invite his bride beyond the veil. There, but there's got to be a hunger. There's got to be something about the bride that she's prepared, that she's spotless, that she's cleansed by the blood. And nothing then could uh, stop God from inviting us in. Self is no longer in the equation is a massive thing. When everything is about us, we're still way out in the outer court. But when everything is about him, we know we're getting close to the glory zone. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he may increase. John the Baptist had something there. And so the thing about the glory of God, and I want to create in you a hunger for it, is how does God destroy sin without destroying you? And that's why there is a protocol for entering into the presence of God. We enter via the cross. Blood makes a way for us that we are washed and we are prepared as a bride to come into the presence of God. If we were totally uncleansed when the glory of God came, it's the same, as the, the same thing as in the days of Noah. The same waters that saved believing Noah and eight of, of his household, including himself, were the same waters that drowned the rest of creation. Amen? And so too it is with the glory of God. 
the glory of God. You can bask in the glory of God when you are cleansed, but in an uncleansed state, it is a dangerous thing to be in that glory zone. It is dangerous. It's dangerous for us to be there. And so the blood must be applied. And the Bible talks about hyssop in the book of Hebrews. Hyssop is that bush that grows off the western wall. And they dipped the hyssop and they dipped it in the blood and they put it over the doorpost and the lintels of the house at the first Passover. And the angel of death passed over. Remember that? So the blood makes a way for us. The blood makes a way for us. And so a church that removes the blood is a church that removes the glory. You won't see any power in a church that removes the blood. And many churches and many Bibles, they remove the name of the blood. They don't preach about the blood. They don't talk about the blood. It's a grotesque thing. But we have communion every Sunday. Every Sunday. And I encourage you, take communion at home. Take it at home if you like. Just take it at home. It's a good and it's a powerful thing to do. The blood joins the hand of God with the hand of man. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think of? The blood makes a way for you and I. And, uh, and so I'd like now to go to Exodus 33. So we're moving along a little bit now, a few chapters, and we're going to read a couple of really, really key verses. And so we, there, are, there are a few people through the history of the Bible who have really, really grasped this concept that God has no interest in religion but everything in relationship but there was a couple of blokes here, and you can see in Exodus 33:11, and uh, enter center stage Moses and Joshua. And so in Exodus 33:11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But listen to this, a very, very important verse. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. Isn't that a glorious thing? Have you ever wondered why God chose Joshua and why Moses ordained Joshua to take over his place? And the reason is simple. The credentials, here lies the reason why Joshua was selected by God, ordained by Moses. Here is his qualification, here is his credential, and here is the attribute that gained the heart of God. And here it is here. Moses spoke, uh, God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. In other words, he did not depart from the presence of God. That what was Joshua's... Do you think Joshua was selected because he was a big... Beefy, muscular guy who could throw a spear further than anybody else? No, it wasn't. It was because he had a love for being in the presence of God. That's where his power come from. You have to understand that this is the man who said, sun and moon stand still in the valley of Agilon. Who else would have the audacity to point up to the sun and the moon? And he was, Joshua was a man who knew God. He didn't say just part the Red Sea. He said sun and moon stand still. That would be the biggest miracle. And when it was put right again some years later, when Isaiah and I think it was Hezekiah said this, that, the, that the shadow would go back 10 degrees on the steps and there it was rectified, the time and everything put back into balance at that same time. But Joshua was a man who knew God. And you can read about that in Joshua chapter 10 and verse 12. 
And so reading now from uh, uh, Exodus 33 and verses 13, Now therefore I pray, this is Moses speaking. This is a man who had relationship, wasn't ritual nor religion. He said, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. And so uh, in Psalm 103 verse 7, he said he made known his ways to Moses, but his acts to the children of Israel. The children of Israel were, they were, they were happy. They were content with seeing the acts of God. But Moses wanted to know the ways of God. Hey, what a contrast that is. Some people would just want to see the signs, the wonders, the miracles. The Pharisees said, show us a sign. They were just there for the show. We can be there for the show too. But Moses wasn't content with just the signs and the wonders and miracles. He just wanted to know the heart of God. What a difference it is. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And he says, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, says God, and I will give you rest. Because God, in the previous, in the previous verse, chapter 33, verse 2, he said, I'm going to send my angel with you into the wilderness with you. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. In other words, an angel is a servant to the throne. A lot of people say, I worship angels. But you have to think about this. An angel is a servant to the throne and is not to be worshipped. A lot of people still do worship angels and they say, oh, I've got this amazing relationship. And we do have personal angels, there's no doubt about that. But the angel of the, an angel is a servant to the Lord. Moses didn't want just a servant of the Lord, he wanted the Lord, amen? That was just a, such a yearning in Moses' heart for this deep relationship. And he says, if your presence does not go up with us, he said, do not send us. And he, said, he goes on to say, I'll paraphrase, and it, was said, and it says, What shall distinguish us from all the peoples and nations of the earth other than the presence of God? What distinguishes us from every other people group on the face of the earth other than the presence of God? It's the presence of God, John, that makes your difference. It's the presence of God that makes a difference around your life and your life and your life and your life. It's the presence of God. When you walk into the room, it's the presence of God around your life, in your life, joined to your life that makes a difference. It's a beautiful message. And it is one of intimacy. It is definitely one of absolute beautiful intimacy. And he said, show me your way. My presence will go with you. If your presence does not go with us, don't even send us. And then here is one of the most beautiful verses. I've always loved this. And then Moses said... Please show me your glory. This is the guy who'd seen the sea part. He'd seen his staff being turned into a snake. He'd seen the rivers turn into blood. He'd seen the mountains shake and the mountains be on fire. But it wasn't enough for Moses. He said, please, one of the most beautiful verses of a relationship with any man on the earth and a heavenly father. And he says, please Show me your glory. That's a plea, isn't it? it? Show me your glory. Have you prayed like that before? Please show me your glory. That's the sort of intimacy that God had with Moses. But that's the same relationship that God wants with you and me here today. David's tent, the Bible says, was just a single tent. There was no division in it. And the Ark of the Covenant was just in the tent. There was no veil there was no process, there was no protocol. 
But David had an intimate relationship, the man who was called the man after my own heart. It's a beautiful thing. If Jules would just come to the keys right now. I'm just about done today. But I was just so moved and touched by Pastor Trevor's message on Sunday. And I thought I'd just lay down the foundation because I would like to minister on the Song of Songs, perhaps on Sunday, if the Holy Spirit permits me to do it. Because I have never ministered or preached on the Song of Solomon in my whole life. I've preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons over the years, hundreds and hundreds of presentations over the years. But the Lord has never permitted me to speak on the Song of Solomon. But I pray that He will on Sunday. If the Lord opens it up to me, I will certainly do it. But I love the, the beautiful honesty of Pastor Trevor's presentation on Sunday when he talked about a groom and his bride and how the Lord just woos us and he has courted us. And then he withdraws and then he knocks on the door and, and, and the bride wasn't ready to come to the door straight away because she'd already been in bed and she didn't want to get her feet dirty so she didn't come to the door straight away. And when she finally did put on a gown and come to the door, she opened the door and he was gone. And it brings to remembrance the scripture, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. The Lord is knocking constantly, but there will come a day for all of us when he will stop knocking. And that intimacy which he so offered when he was at the door he will back away from that door and that opportunity will be passed. And for much of the world, they have not sought the value in the Lord knocking on the door of their heart. And when the Lord backs away, we don't know if he will ever give those people another opportunity again. I pray that you don't ever take it lightly when the, when the Lord knocks on the door of your heart and he says, come away with me, come away with me, my love. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. We know sometimes we're out and about and the door is not and the Lord is knocking on our heart and he says come away with me come away with me. I just want to encourage you drop whatever you're doing and just be obedient. You see the Lord loves us so beautifully and so intently and so immensely. The way we demonstrate our love is by the level of our obedience. And when we're obedient to the call of God when he knocks on the door of our heart Drop whatever you're doing and enter into that divine relationship. Who knows where it will lead? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for tonight. I thank you, Lord. I pray, pray for these people who have come. And for those listening online, I pray for them, Lord God, today, that you would touch every single person here. Every single person, Father. Touch them, Lord, tonight in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, that you would draw us, draw us again, Lord, into that place. Draw us again, Lord God, into that intimate relationship, Lord God, with you. And that you would show us your glory, Father. The most wonderful plea that any man could make to the Lord is, show me your glory. Father, I pray, Lord, impart this word tonight every single person and I pray Father and release your blessing upon it I pray seal your word Lord into the people's hearts Lord God tonight may they go away Lord God 
having touched the hem of your garment, I pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you.